What happens to 48 days after Dan is gone? Hey, there's a question that got my attention. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. You know, spring is coming. Maybe it is time for a tune-up. You know I'm a car guy. I like the analogy of what we do with our cars. It's always a good time in the spring to kind of check things out. Same is true with us. Spring is coming. What are you doing to be tuned up? Ready for the most productive time of the year. Well, our sponsor today is two, Casper and FreshBooks. I'm going to be telling you about both of those. Casper, if you go to casper.com slash sleepyoulove, use the promo code sleepyoulove. You're going to save $50 off your purchase, and I'm going to tell you why I think it's the best mattress in the world. I sleep on it every night. Hey, here's some of the things we're going to be looking at today. Dan, I'd like additional clarification about your thoughts on blogging, podcasting, newsletters, etc., being marketing avenues rather than the core business. Yeah, let's talk about that. A lot of you want to get into your own online business, so you have a blog, a podcast, newsletter, and so on, and then think that's the business. Yep, I firmly believe those are marketing tools, not the business themselves. As a very creative type, I love the process of beginning new and exciting ventures and adventures, but the reality is I don't like the maintaining part. Probably a lot of you can identify with that. You're creative. You like the challenge, change, and variety, starting something. But boy, when it gets going, it's boring. I can identify with that. Here's somebody says, I want to use my skill in sales for Christian business, but I don't know where to start. We'll, we'll give you some tips on that. And somebody asked, we've decided after many years of struggle in our small family-owned retail business to retire and have a going out of business sale, but we have no idea how to go about it. Well, that can be a challenging time and process, but there's certainly good ways to do it. So I'll give you some tips on that. And then we've got, yes, what happens to 48 days after Dan is gone? Well, it's not an idea that has not crossed my mind or that of my children. So I'll give you some insights on what we're planning there. I know I'm not going to be here forever. Don't plan on leaving anytime soon, but uh, we, it's a good question for all of us, no matter where we are. And then somebody says, I just don't know how to dive right in and make money as a realtor. So lots of great questions. We're going to dive right into those. Got some other, a lot of tips I want to give you. Probably need a pencil and paper, a pen and paper handy for this one, because I got a lot of tips that I want to give you as we move through. Here's our quotation for the day. It comes from Joan of Arc, who said, I am not afraid. I was born to do this. Isn't that cool to be doing something? where you're so confident that you're doing it, geez, fear just goes out the window. Your passion and confidence about doing it drives you past any fear of inadequacy, lack of self-confidence, low self-esteem. Whoa, I'm not afraid. I was born to do this. I love that. Well, I do want to tell you a little bit more about Casper. You know that I sleep on a Casper mattress. I don't promote things that I don't really endorse strongly myself. And that is one. We got a Casper first for our guest room. Got rave reviews from guests. And finally, even though we had carefully selected a mattress, 
I kept hearing about nights where Joanne would slip out, not being able to sleep well, and she'd go into the room that had the Casper in it. So we decided, hey, we need to get one in our room. Now, the deal is Casper is a sleep brand. They have one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers. So they eliminate all the commission-driven inflated prices. You know, it's funny. We drive around Cool Springs here and almost inevitably, well, every weekend, there are guys standing on the street corners holding these big signs, mattress sale. Like, oh my gosh, that's got to be tough. And then they try to get you to stop in the store and somebody tries to talk you into a particular mattress, probably an expensive one. Well, with Casper, you eliminate all that. One mattress, you choose your size, one set price, priced very reasonably. I love what they're doing. Go to casper.com slash sleep you love. Use the promo code sleep you love and you're going to save $50 off your purchase. And of course, you hear me talk about that includes free delivery. Now, we're getting things really ramped up in the 48 Days Eagles group. A lot of you are already in there. I'm totally jazzed about what we're doing there. 48dayseagles.com. You can go there and check it out, but it's a new community where people are getting really intense kind of mentoring. We've got about 25 mentors, people whose names you'd recognize that I've mentioned here regularly on the podcast. People like Aaron Walker, um, Ernie L- or um, Ernie Lansford, Gally Giovanna Ellison goes on and on. My bookkeeper just asked if she could be one of the mentors there, which I'm thrilled to do Bonnie free. So we'll have her there. She's my personal bookkeeper and you can ask her questions if you want, get her up there in a day or two. Anyway, 48 days, eagles.com. You can check it all out there. Now this coming Monday, Monday, January 23rd, depending on when you're listening to this, but Monday, January 23rd, I'm going to be talking about, I'm going to be doing a one hour presentation, interaction, you ask questions, why your work is the purest evidence of who you are. I just think it speaks volumes. That's it. This last week, I talked about the three mistakes entrepreneurs when quitting their job. And those are the kind of things that we're going to be covering every Monday there and check out the gang at 48dayseagles.com for that. Andrew says, well, he, he is in that group. Andrew's in the 48 Days Eagles. He says, thanks for the Monday webinar. Very insightful. I'd like additional clarification about your thoughts on blogging, podcasting, newsletters, et cetera, being marketing venues rather than the core business. How does that relate to the building of a tribe? If speaking, webinars, and coaching is the end game, what's the appropriate order of operations? Should you work to establish a platform through the content first or jump into the coaching and speaking right away simultaneously? Well, these are, there's a lot of questions in there and a lot of you are interested in building an online platform. And a lot of you are interested in doing things that may be similar to what I've done here at 48 days. So yes, I blog podcast, have a newsletter, have our online communities, masterminds, you know, have a lot of content, books, eBooks, courses, and so on all built around the same core message that you can look inside and figure out how God has gifted you. And from that, create a really clear focus from which you have a lot of confidence, boldness, enthusiasm, and then move right into either finding or creating work that is purposeful, meaningful, and profitable. You hear me talk about that at the end of every podcast here. But I do think that we need to be careful about trying to monetize everything. Most of what I do is totally free. Very little that you can find in our community are things that you have to pay for. Most of it is free blogs, podcasts, 
newsletters. You can go to our site. There are videos there, things to walk you right through the process. There are links to articles that show you how to do the job search, how to negotiate salary. I mean, all those things are there free. I really believe in the idea of building community first, that idea of give, give, give. I was raised in that kind of environment. Dad being a pastor, I saw a lot of examples of just giving, giving, giving without expecting anything in return. So I'm really big on the giving part, and I really encourage people to do that. We see too many people jumping on onto business now, and the first thing they do is they want to have a newsletter where you have to pay for it. Well, I think you're going to have a very tiny audience because it's so easy to get information these days. I, I think that's short-sighted to do that. I see people who jump into podcasts and they quickly load it up just like commercial radio with a whole bunch of ads. So they've got a podcast with eight ads in it. Well, people don't listen to that. You're going to lose people because they don't want it to be loaded up. Now, you just heard me promote Casper, and I'm going to tell you about FreshBooks in a little bit. Yes, I do that, but you, it'll never be more than two, two short spots in a podcast. So I think you do both, Andrew. You do both building your audience and going right to the content that you have available for sale as well. You don't have to wait on that. I think they go hand in hand, but make sure that you've got the majority of your content free before you start asking for money. Patricia, this is that one that I love, love this. She says, as a very creative type, I love the process of beginning new and exciting ventures and adventures, but the reality is I really don't like the maintaining part. And although I have put together teams to help me do so in both brick and mortar and online, I find the teams have all just become something else to maintain. Of course, the best action course of action for me would be just to become a serial entrepreneur, but then not everything is sellable especially when a personal passion sets things in motion in the first place. And then um, Patricia referenced a uh, blog by Malena Kaczynski, who wrote a blog about having to maintain things that creative people start. Well, I love the question, Patricia, and I very much identify with what you're talking about. Twice I built businesses years ago, kept them too long because it just became routine, even though successful, just the predictability and routineness of it bored me to death, and I started to sabotage it. I should have gotten rid of those businesses much quicker than I did. Here's what I do with the business that I have now. I have a lot of moving parts. I use a Venn diagram with seven distinct areas. The Venn diagram is three circles, and they overlap in one small area. But if you draw that out just on a paper, have two circles, one below, and have them intersect, you're going to see one area where they all intersect, but you're going to have seven distinct areas. That's what I use for my business. But that means that I can constantly be taking something out and adding something without sabotaging my whole business. So I may drop something and you never really even notice that it's gone. Then I add something in kind of just very quietly coming from the side, just like I've just done with 48 days Eagles, our new membership site that I'm totally jazzed about, but it's not like that's the only thing that I'm doing. I didn't quit everything else. And now this has to be successful or else. No, I just very gently introduced it as one more option. There are a whole lot of things that people are going to be participating in without ever doing that. But if you elect to get in that, it's just one more option. We wanted an option between the 48 days.net community. That's now grown to 16,000 members and it's, it's free, 
but I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time there. It's just kind of an umbrella where people can interact with each other. And then I have a high level mastermind, which is just includes a very small handful of people. It's not an open-ended kind of group, but then I opened up the 48 days dot or 48 days eagles.com as something that we can allow to be bigger. It's something where I will be very involved where people can really link arms with mentors and get a lot of help there. It's just another option. So I would encourage you to be looking for things that you could do that. I mean, even things that we do here routinely, like coaching with excellence that I've done now over and over and over again, three times a year. But you know what? It's never the same. I told a group was just here last week. You know, we have new content, new examples, of course, new participants every single time. Probably 25% of that conference stays the same with core principles. Then the rest is evolving with new video clips that I, that I discover, uh, new questions that are being asked, new areas of coaching focus. I mean, my gosh, this time we've always had people who want to be career coaches, life coaches, parenting coaches, marriage coaches, and so on. But we, we keep coming up with people who want to have new areas of coaching. Like this time we talked about coaching for former athletes. I mean, look, look at the NFL. I mean, we're just getting ready to go into the Super Bowl. What if you're Super Bowl? What if you're 27 years old and you reach the end of that career? I mean, 27 years old and you reach the end of a very illustrious NFL football career. What do you do then? Well, yeah, that's a very legitimate coaching focus. I love that. What about coaching for former politicians? What about all these politicians at a national state community, local level, whatever, they put everything they've got together into a political race and then they lose. What do they do then? I mean, what if you kind of lose your identity, lose the one thing you were really focused on? Yeah. Coaching in that arena, it would be a very legitimate place to go. Bereavement coach, elder care coach. We had a single mom's coach, single and not a mom coach spoke up right after that worthiness coach. I love all of those things. So you can do that. Make sure that you build in the variety change and challenge so that you don't feel like you're just maintaining one thing. If I had to just maintain one thing in my business, yeah, like you, uh, Patricia, I would get bored very quickly, but you can build in the variety, knowing what you know about yourself. Karen says, who's the guy that buys books by the pound and resells the paper? Thanks for all you do. Well, that's an ongoing question, so I'll just share it again. The guy's name is Greg Murphy. Uh, he's from Cincinnati, Ohio. And you can find my buddy Greg. Go to sevenfigurebooksales.com. Actually, to find Greg, if you go to sevenfigurebooksales.com slash author slash Greg, it'll take you right to him. But just sevenfigurebooksales, and it'll take you to his information yeah, he processes about 15 ton, ton, that is, not pounds, 15 ton. That's 30,000 pounds of books a day that they go through. And they sort them out, take about 20% of those out. Books they can scan very quickly and know that they can sell them on Amazon. And they do that. So you may find, so you're buying books by the pound. What if you found an original copy of Think and Grow Rich in just thousands of books just thrown all in a box together. I mean, that'd pretty, be pretty cool. So they're going to recognize things like that, pull it out. And in that case, you know, an original copy of Think and Grow Rich is going to bring you about $2,000. So you may find books in there that have reasonable value, even if it's 10 or $15. And then the rest of them, they just cut the back and spine off and uh, recycle the paper and sell it. But 
Greg's very successful doing that. I love his business model. And he shares readily his ideas. He's got a couple little courses you can take because there's really no competition. I mean, he's in Cincinnati, Ohio. His business requires a lot of physical labor effort, and it's very geographic-centered. I mean, he can't duplicate that easily in buying books in Seattle when he lives in, in Cincinnati. So if you live somewhere else, you want to do it, hey, he, he shares that information really readily. Well, hey, just a quick reminder here. We are. These are real questions. I got a whole bunch. I have 30 pages of questions for today. Obviously, I never get through all the questions that I've got. I just kind of watch the clock for the 48-minute mark and just uh, save the rest for another day. And then I, the next week, I get all brand-new questions, so a lot of them we never get to. But uh, love having you submit those. And you're hearing real-life questions here. If you got a question, just go to 48days.com and click on the podcast link. You'll see an opportunity there to write it out. Or as most of you know, you can just shoot it to me directly at the email address, askdan at 48days.com. Danny says, I'm being a little vague because if this is on air, I don't want the, oh, well, I already, sorry, I already gave your name. It doesn't matter. There's a whole lot of Danny's out there and I won't give any more details. He says, I've been doing a podcast for about a year and a half. I average one episode per month. I have a small but respectable listenership in my field, though I have no idea what the actual numbers are for how many listeners per episode I get. I was approached today by a friend who happens to be a large player in my field wanting to advertise on my podcast. It is exciting and a great opportunity, but I have no idea what to charge. I panicked a little and gave him a price that is probably much too low. What metrics should I use to figure out how to market price for advertising on my podcast? Well, I'll go through this quickly. Danny, it's probably not a question that, well, there may be a lot of people. I mean, a lot of you listening do have a podcast or are interested in doing your own, just like I listen to tons of podcasts. So having a podcast certainly does not mean that I don't listen to others. It means I listen to more because I want to stay sharp in my game, learn from other people doing it well. So how do you price for a podcast? Now, for one thing, you should be able to find out how many listeners you have per episode, how many downloads. I mean, go to whoever's hosting. If it's iTunes, you can get it there. Um, and I use a service called Lisbon, Lib, Libsyn, Libsyn. I always get that wrong. Libsyn, which is really popular. You can check that out. But I can go right there to the dashboard for my account and see the downloads. And that is going to be important as you start thinking about having advertisers come to you. So let me give you some quick kind of yeah, kind of industry standards. For one thing, typically advertisers, recognized advertisers aren't really going to be that interested until you have about 10,000 downloads per episode. Now, if you're lower than that, uh, the fact that you're only doing one a month, I mean, that's, that's kind of unusual for a podcast to only be one a month. And it, it, I think it's going to be a little difficult to really build an audience. Frankly, people are used to thinking in terms of weekly, especially for podcasts. I mean, radio shows, of course, are autumn or daily, but podcast people tend to think about weekly. And if you only show up once a month, it's probably going to be pretty tough to build an audience. So I, I recommend if you are building a listening audience, increase the frequency, even if they're short, increase the frequency. So let's say that you have, you are building. So 
industry standards are going to mean about $20 per 15 second pre-roll. Like what I did with um, Casper mattress at the beginning of this show today, 15 seconds. Yeah, that's going to be about $20 per 1,000 listeners. And then a 60 second or a fuller spot for somebody is going to be around $25 for that 60 second mid roll is what it's called a little lengthier kind of position. And I'll give you an example here in a little bit when I do a, I'll I'll do a fresh books spot right after this to give you an example of a 60 second spot. So let's say just for ease of math. So we got 25 for 60 or $20 for 15 second per 1000. So if you have 10,000 listeners, which is the figure that I said is kind of where you start to get attention from advertisers, that's going to mean a short 15 second spot is probably going to be about $180 and a longer spot about 250. If you do both of those for the same sponsor, then that's going to be about $430 for that kind of a uh, pre-roll and mid-roll combo, which is usually what we do. Now, if you just kind of round that up a little bit, as soon as you get a little traction and you really are a player in that, you know, 10,000 download per episode range, yeah, you're going to be able to uh, ask for about $500, about $500 to have a sponsor. So if you have two of those per show, that would then mean you've got $1,000 per episode income from your sponsors. That's kind of a benchmark for you without going into a whole lot of, a whole lot of questions. Now, again, I would strongly discourage you from ever having more than two sponsors per show. So don't look to the podcast as being your only source of income. And as I mentioned earlier, I see it only as a way to market what you're really doing in business. And my podcast is a great marketing tool. I talk about events that we've got coming up, you know, share all these cool stories about what you guys, the listeners are doing. I mean, that's the primary purpose is to share those things, but it's certainly not to be seen in and of itself as an income generator. Yeah. I drop a couple things in because yeah, my, my numbers are significantly more than what I'm talking about here. So the dollar figures are significantly more. So it makes a lot of sense. Kind of nice to know that just in, you know, doing the, doing the podcast and the mortgage is going to be paid every month and uh, several other things as well. So that's, that's my encouragement though. Know your numbers and then be clear about that. But those are going to be some averages for you that you can use. Okay. Now let me insert this here. Certainly a company that I believe in uh, here at the coaching with excellence. A lot of people were talking about using fresh books. I talked yesterday to my bookkeeper about it. It's an easy way. If you got any kind of a small business or side business, side hustle going on, I encourage you to use FreshBooks. Here's my 60 second spot with them. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon, all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? Yeah, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for being self-employed. Now, to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, 
get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. You can see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. All right, there you go. There's a there's a clean example, 60-second spot. And yes, they pay me for that. Now, if you have a podcast, there are a couple ways to generate income. One is just being paid per spot, which is what you hear here. Another way is to use an affiliate link where you give a unique URL and then that's trackable and they pay you per click-through or per sale or per revenue share. There's a whole lot of ways to do that. So when, when I first, well, when I was first starting out and my good friend Dave Ramsey was just starting out, you know, he had a little radio show. Not many people knew about it. He was growing his audience. I was growing mine. So he promoted the fire out of 48 days to the work you love back in the old three ring binder days before I ever had a, a you know, deal with a, a major publisher and it came out in hardback, just a three ring binder. He would promote that. And the deal was I sold that for $39 we were selling them like crazy $39 every time the phone rang we were answering phones back then don't anymore but we were answering phones gee how'd you hear about us I just heard Dave Ramsey talk about you on his show boom that'd go down in the Dave column and out of that $39 Dave got $25 for every single one of those that was sold now those numbers escalated pretty nicely building my audience dramatically and giving Dave income for that little mention on his show when he wasn't big enough yet to command the big ad dollars that he does. Now I was simply paying him $25 every time somebody mentioned that they had heard him talk about 48 days to the work you love on his show. And it got to where I was writing Dave checks of 17, $18,000 a month based on that agreement. And it, it was totally Based on integrity, Dave and I are friends. He never came in and looked at my books. He never asked for sales figures. He just, I just sent him a check for what I knew was rightfully his based on the agreement that we had. So there are a lot of ways to do that, especially when you're starting out in business. Man, love it. Love the, love the options. Still do. Well, this comes from Astoria. Astoria Powell. What a beautiful name, Astoria. Anyway, she says, I, I want to use my skills in, Chris, in sales for Christian business, but I don't know where to start. I'm in insurance sales right now. I'm licensed in 17 states working for acceptance insurance, and it's okay, but I have great talent in sales and want to use them for the Lord. Please help me. Thank you, Astoria. Well, Astoria, I can help you. When you are in selling, and selling is the most transferable, most explosive skill you can have. It can transfer. It'll open doors for you like no other skill possible. When you can be an expert at computer programming or data input or customer service or whatever, and those things will all be limited compared to being great in sales. That's a great skill to have. I commend you on that. Here's the deal. Pure professional selling is simply sharing enthusiasm. So if you go to a great movie, and you tell 20 people about that, you're selling. 
if you eat at a restaurant where the food is just awesome, you tell people about that. You're selling. Teachers sell. Pastors sell. Moms sell the ideas that they want other people to get on board with. So really think about selling is just transfer of enthusiasm. You're sharing enthusiasm about something. So if you're selling something, my gosh, you know, if you're, if you're selling Mercedes, you know, don't drive to work in an old beat up Chevy that you park out behind the building. It'll hurt your ability to sell. Well, be a user. You hear me talk about Casper. The reason I talk about that is because I'm so enthusiastic about being a user of that. It's not just, gee, they pay me. And so I talk about their, no, I sleep on a Casper every night. That's why I can talk about it so confidently and with such enthusiasm. So follow your enthusiasm. That's where you want to sell. Start with what you're enthusiastic about. You can represent something well. I don't know how you define a Christian business. And I'd be a little careful about that. Find a product, something that you really care about, that you can sell with integrity and you're fine. You can honor the Lord, be serving him well by doing that extremely well. But find something that you really care about, start with that and go from there. Again, I, it reminds me on, on Monday in the 48dayseagles.com group, I'm going to be talking about why your work is the purest evidence of who you are. Watching you work, I can know what your beliefs are, what your values are, what you care about, what you're enthusiastic about. That's the best evidence we've got about what kind of person we are is just letting somebody watch the work that we do. David says, Dan, after all these years, I finally took your advice, attended a leadership conference. I'm at the head HR head head human resource person of a company in Charlotte who was one of the speakers. I had a stack of business cards, gave him one. About a month later, we went to lunch, had a great time. We left that meeting. He said, please let me know if you ever need anything. About three weeks later, I found a position at his company online and applied for it. I sent him my cover letter and resume along with a post-it note stating, let's catch up after the holidays. Now I've tried to email him to set up another lunch to discuss, but so far I've been getting ignored. How should I handle this? Did I do something wrong in the process? David, you didn't do anything wrong in the process. That's a great approach to meet somebody who was a speaker, give him a card, initiate a follow-up, then see an opportunity in that company. Absolutely did, did the right thing. However, there are too many things we don't know about, too many things we can't control. We don't know. I, I don't know how big the company is. You may know that, but I certainly don't know. You know, if he's head of HR at that company, I have no idea how many applications they're getting. I have no idea, you know, what he thought about you being a, a match for a position that they had. But it's not unusual for an HR person to get 200 applications a week. They don't typically respond to those at all unless they want to move forward. It, it's just too cumbersome. It opens the door for too many other unknown things. They just can't handle it. So if it's a position that was promoted online, Again, if you've been following in my methods in 48 days to the work you love, you know that I feel like you've already lost your best opportunity by the time you see a position open online. You want to be applying to companies, making your approach to them before they promote a position online. That's how we find that 87% of the hidden jobs that are never promoted online or in a public manner at all. 87% never appear there. So you want to be searching for those that are not yet advertised. The other half of my answer is 
don't make this your only approach. If you want a position, you ought to have 30 other companies that you're applying to, not just this one. Even though you had a chance to meet the head of HR and you saw a position online for this company, don't make that your only focus. There's just too many things that we can't control. And I want you to have a broad enough search, not to be sending your resume out to a million companies, but have those 20 or 30 that really you have targeted. So you have those in the mix. And this is just one, even though you felt like you had that personal connection with somebody there. All right, here, this, this question. I know this is, please don't use my name and I won't. I respect that. I, I know this is not the type of question you normally get, but here goes. We've decided after many years of struggle in our small family owned retail business to retire and have a going out of business sale, but we have no idea how to go about it. Can you tell me how to find someone who is trustworthy and has experience with conducting sales such as this? Or better yet, is there someone you could recommend personally? Uh, thanks, Dan. We'll, we greatly appreciate any advice you can give us. Well, it probably a uh, bittersweet time, even if the, well, you say you've been struggling for a long time in the business. That's a tough kind of thing to then decide you're just going to close it down, have a going out of business sale. I mean, ideally, uh, it would be a business that you could sell and recapture some of the hard work, sweat, equity that you have in that. But in this case, apparently you've decided that you're not going to do that. Here's the deal. You, you need to know there are some steps to go through to have, you don't just throw a sign up and say, we're going out of business. You have to know your state laws. You're in Corp Corpus Christi, Texas. You have to know the laws for Texas. There are very specific laws that vary. I mean, in Ohio, if you advertise a going out of business sale, it's because you lost your lease or you're being forced into bankruptcy. You can't just choose to have a going out of business sale here in Tennessee. It's, it's a lot looser. It's funny. You know, we have stores that have a going out of business sale about once a year. You know, these, uh, Indian rugs, it seems to be really big in that Persian rugs, you know, going out of business sale. They think that's some kind of a, a really strong marketing pull to get people in there. And then a year later, they're doing the same thing again, but you have to investigate the state laws and then you have to have a set closing date. You have to know a specific time that you say this is going to be the length of our going out of business sale. Gather clearly what inventory you're going to have. Is it just the merchandise that you were selling or is it going to be fixtures, signs, tables, chairs, whatever you happen to have, but just make sure that you really go through everything clearly. Make sure again, that you fulfill the legal obligations about having a going out of business sale in your state. Then once you know the timeline, so if it's going to be six months from now, create an advertising plan. Yes, you want to advertise. You want to advertise more than you ever have probably during that time. So you really maximize what you can recapture and implement your plan, hold a sale. Now you talked about having somebody else do that. I would totally a hundred percent recommend. And if I were going to have a, a going out of business sale, I would bring in somebody who had experience in doing that rather than just trying to go through that it will be worth it. It's, it's going to be like selling a house on your own or selling a business on your own. You're really better off to use a real estate agent. And in this case, you really want somebody who has experience in doing that. They will know the state laws. They can help you with signage. They know how far in advance to promote. And what I would do is just do a Google search for use these words, professional liquidation company, Corpus Christi, Texas. I already did that. 
and there's four or five companies look like great players, strong credentials, I would do that. Look for professional liquidation company, Corpus Christi, Texas. Now, there's a, there's a company that I'm familiar with as well because they do a lot of liquidation sales, and that's DWS Retail Sales. So you can check them out as well, DWSRetailSales.com. Now, this kind of brings up something that I find to be true in entrepreneurs a lot is that we don't plan well for the end of our business. One of the books that I read recently that I've been recommending a lot is Walk Away Wealthy, The Entrepreneur's Exit Planning Playbook by Mark Tepper. Walk Away Wealthy. It's one that I've read and I've recommended to a lot of people. I mean, I'm in a world of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs tend to just blow and go. You know, our businesses are great, our little cash cow for us. And then one morning we wake up and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, if we, we've got to plan ahead for what that exit is going to look like. But um, it sounds like you're, you're kind of past that point. And again, I, I hope that you are okay with the decision that you've made. You know, I want to, I want to give you a note of encouragement. Quitting a job or closing a business is not just quitting your desire to make a living or make a difference or make an impact. I mean, closing a business doesn't mean that you're giving up a business is, or a job is just a tactic. It's just a way to get to that meaningful life. And as soon as your job hits a dead end or your business is not making money, it makes sense to quit and take your quest to a bigger marketplace. Don't wait. I mean, just go ahead, bring it to a close, whether it's a job that's not fulfilling or if it's a business that's not making money. And in my, my kind of rule of thumb is if it's a year and it's not been making money or the last couple of years you've been losing money, we draw a line in the sand. Now, sometimes I find people who I had a young guy who was a chiropractor one time. I'll squeeze this in real quick. He had purchased a practice near Memphis, Tennessee, gotten out of chiropractic school, did that, got in it. And boy, he came to me. He was so angry about the business that he had. He was so tired of dealing with people who came in with workman comp claim and then wouldn't follow through and do what he suggested they were complainers anyway. He just wanted to close the door and walk away. And I said, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Even though you hate this business, there are other people out there who are just getting out of chiropractic school or who want to move to Memphis who would love what you have. He's like, you got to be kidding me. Who would want this thing? I said, no, it's just your, your mental mindset at this point that makes you think it's stupid, but there's somebody who's going to love what you've got. Took us two weeks to find a buyer. Now, here's the interesting thing. He had $120,000 in student loan debt that he still owed. We found a buyer for his business at $90,000. Now, keep in mind, the chiropractic business, there's not a whole lot of fixtures or hard assets. It's mainly just blue sky or PR for the business that's established. But because he had established himself with a steady flow of clients, got 90000 bucks. That made a big dent in that student loan debt that he had. He was able to hold his head high and walk away. But there are a lot of reasons for change. And the fact that you decide you're going to close your business isn't a failure. It just means this isn't working. It's time to do something else. And I commend you in doing that. And I, Hey, I've got a little experience of that. I, I told you twice I kept the business too long 
I mean, one cost me dearly because I kept it too long. I should have sold it when I recognized my interest was starting to wane. And I didn't do that. I kept it too long and it cost me several hundred thousand dollars to bail out of the hole I dug for myself. Okay, Alan, Alan Skidmore, Alan's a regular in the 48 Days community, has been here for events and act, very active in our communities. He says, uh, yesterday during a new business venture discussion, I had a question come up that I hadn't fully thought about, and it made me wonder how you may be handling this situation. I have an IT consulting company, and I'm essentially a one-man show. Now, this works well for the moment, but there will come a time when I plan to retire, slow down, disappear, etc., I don't have a successor replacement plan in place to continue the company without me, which obviously is not the best plan. I'm curious in your case, since you essentially are 48 days and create the bulk of the content when that inevitable day comes, what happens to 48 days? <laughs> well, you don't hear me talk about that a whole lot here because I don't want anybody to think that I'm ever going to leave. And I, I kind of feel that way. I mean, I have no plans for a retirement, but I also am a business guy. So I have this last year in 2016, I had a company come in and they did a business valuation and really just kind of looked at the marketing and everything. Here's what they came back with. Wow. This is a great business. Lots of different revenue streams. I mean, in any given month, somebody asked me just at a conference we had here, you know, how many different income streams that I have in a given month. And I said, probably between 25 and 30 places that income comes from. Anyway, this company came in and said, everything is great, but this business is way too dependent on Dan Meller personally. It's not really a business you could sell if you wanted to because it's way too dependent on just Dan. If Dan walks out the door, just like you're saying, Alan, everything stops. And I thought, man, that's not very smart. That's not a good way to have a business. I want to have, I don't want to have just created a job for myself. I want to have a business. So I'm doing some things that are very strategic to make the business stand on its own, even if I'm no longer around. Now, now one of those was very intentionally making it 48 days rather than Dan Miller originally. So it's 48 days. So theoretically, you know, that could be something other than just me. And we've built in a lot of things over the last few years, but I read four books. And I'll tell you the title, the titles of those books that I read last year as I've been working with this company and creating a 10 year plan. I'll be real open about that. I'm creating a 10 year plan by which I will have a business that has significant equity and could be sold to somebody else. There are some very strategic things that I'm doing uh, to get into that position. One of them, frankly, again, being totally transparent, is the new 48dayseagles.com site. Because people there are going to be paying monthly. So it's not a brand new decision. Every month, it, they pay monthly to be part of that community. That's part of this 10-year strategy. But the books were Profit First by Mike McCallowitz, Automatic Customer John Warlow, Walk Away Wealthy Mark Tepper, and Built to Sell. By John Warlow again. So profit first, automatic customer, walk away wealthy, and built a sell. And I don't know how many of you are thinking about that or in that position, but uh, those are the things that I pulled from that I um, am using to position myself where I really do have a business with equity. And, and a business where if I wanted to, and again, Alan, I have no, uh, no thoughts about 
I'm busier now than I ever have been. I mean, Dave Ramsey did ask me recently, you know, if I've got any thoughts about slowing down. Oh my gosh, not in the foreseeable future. I am ramping things up like I've never done. And, and really I intend to do more in the next 10 years of my life in this business than I've done in my entire life up to this point. So yes, I've had, you know, some fun things happen with uh, 48 days to the work you love the book and uh, a whole lot of other things that we're doing, but I intend to do a whole lot more in the next 10 years. Hey, one more here. Ruth says middle aged and confused about my career path. Dan loved the podcast. I'm 46 years old, currently working at a grocery store part-time. I have health issues that make it difficult. If not impossible to manage a full-time job, I have epilepsy. And the last time I tried increasing my hours at the store, I started getting sick all the time. I'm an INFP on the Myers-Briggs scale. And a while back, I did a career test online, said my best career areas were in art, entertainment, social work, teaching. Uh, I'd, I'd love to be doing something like singing or being in a music area, but I'm not sure I could manage a workload because of my disability. I've tried to get in on social security. They seem to think I'm not disabled enough to qualify. I remember going to a musical theater production company uh, and thinking, wow, that looks like fun. So she goes on. I've started selling Avon a few months ago, but it's not making a profit yet. Wonder if it's a good idea to continue. All right, Ruth, let me give you a little bit, a real quick coaching here. INFP. Yeah, we use the DISC, the D-I-S-C here, but INFP is from the Myers-Briggs and an INFP stands for introverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. I'm very familiar with it. That means somebody who's, who's poetic, you know, kind, altruistic, always eager to help a good cause. Now here's the deal. This is probably the most challenging insignia. The INFP more challenging than any other combination of letters to find a satisfying career in any other type. I mean, you are probably like more INFPs. You're intelligent. You know, you like things to be pretty clearly laid out. You are um, compassionate, understanding, you know, loyal, brave, and true, but you really don't like for these things that are in the creative area that take a lot of work you know, you don't want the stress and rigor of professional life. I mean, I think there are things about your personality that play into the challenges you're having in your work as well as your physical condition. But there's a couple things I want to tell you here just to encourage you and also coach you. I, I encourage you to stop focusing on what you can't do because of your physical condition. You find something that you're really passionate about that is really working well for you and making money and that does you blend your ta- your passion, your talent, and money, you're going to forget all about the fact that you have some physical challenges. You're going to start feeling a whole lot better. You're going to have a whole lot more energy. That's really the key here. Don't focus on your physical limitations. Focus on finding something that is a really good fit for you. And yes, it is challenging. And I would encourage you to find things that allow you to be more behind the scenes. I mean, don't think that you got to force yourself out into the limelight. I think that's going to be a, a conflict for you. So find things that are more behind the scene. You talk about selling Avon. My gosh, you can go into things where you're selling online. That may be a great fit for you where you're selling something that you really care about and you're doing it online. 
So you don't have to confront people face-to-face, door-to-door. You don't have to knock on doors or shake people's hands. You're doing something that you really care about. Look for things that you can do that have an economic model that allow you to respect your physical limitations but are still connected with something that you're extremely passionate about. And you can do that without having a lot of visibility out there. You can be very introverted and shy and knock it out of the park. By having something, you know, check out all the information that I've shared about people doing things online. The information from my buddy Jim Cockrum about his Amazon work. I mean, you can do that. And I think you'd be, I think you're going to find more fulfillment there, more opportunity there, and a better fit than trying to force yourself into, you know, being on stage or being on a musician. Those things, you can express your creativity in ways that embrace what you know about yourself, part of that being that you are an INFP. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. Well, we got a whole lot of things going on here. I'm more excited than I've ever been starting a year, I think. But it's uh, going to be a great year. I hope it is for you as well. We've got Innovate. You know, four people like you, Ruth, Innovate, coming up May 11th and 12th. That's where we're going to have creative people here to show them how to rediscover their creative passion and how to put legs on that and move forward with confidence and making money. Coaching with Excellence, two more left this year, one in May, one in August. I'll see some of you at Social Marketing World. I'll see some of you next month on the cruise that we're doing. It's too late to register for that, but I'll be delighted to see those of you who are going to be on that. So check out the things where you can engage here, get involved at a deeper level, connect with others who are on the same path, and be part of this growing community who are, in fact, finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Hey, let me ch- check out check out 48dayseagles.com. Let me know if you're there. I'll give you a personal welcome when I see you join there. Have a wonderful week. Don't settle for less than the things we've been talking about right here on the 48 Days Radio Show.